Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. What's going on, guys? How are we doing? Good to see you guys. Welcome to The Block, Kansas City. So, hey, happy to be here. Uh, like Scott said, my name is Luke Hoagland. I am the young adult minister out at Journey Bible Church in South Olathe, one of the directors here at The Block, Kansas City. So, um, happy to be here. No, uh, no place I'd rather be. Um, man, life's, uh, life's been good, man. I was, on a, I was on a float trip a couple weekends ago. Anybody in the room on that float trip with me? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Great float trip, let me tell you. Uh, Super Johnson County camping, too. We, t- we were in a very nice cabin. Um, we are pregnant by the grace of God still, so super exciting. New things, new things coming. Um, my wife is a first grade teacher, Bailey, and she got some, uh, some interesting advice today. One of her students said, hey, uh, I've got a really good idea. I, I, th- I think about the name. I'm thinking Merry Christmas Hoagland. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the stuff you hear from first graders, weird to me, normal to her, uh, probably fun for you guys. But uh, we are, we're in a series called, uh, a new one called Practically Speaking, it's the book of James, and uh, it's called Practically Speaking, if you're, if you're not familiar with the book, James is very practical, cut to the chase, not messing around, saying, uh, he doesn't say a ton of really heady things, he doesn't camp out in like all of the doctrines, all of the, you know, ins and outs of, of the, the right ways to think about things, but he says, man, faith is real, faith is practical, and it's to be lived out in a way, Jesus has called us to live out our faith in a certain way that pleases him, and so James is going to be speaking about that week after week as we dive into it, and, uh, and he tells it like it is, so that's good. We don't have a lot of extrapolating to do, and we're going to look at what he has to say. So James, who is James? He is the half-brother of Jesus. We say half-brother because, uh, interestingly enough, if you didn't know, Jesus was born to a virgin woman, and so Mary is his mother. God kind of like impregnated her in some way, so uh, he is, uh, Mary is Jesus' mother. James also has Mary as his mother. Joseph is his father. So they're kind of brothers. They're brothers from another father, if you will. Um, and so interesting little relationship there. None of y'all have that relationship, I don't think. Um, but uh, to start us off, if you're like me, you've probably gotten some unhelpful advice. Maybe recently, uh, Merry Christmas Hoagland was a piece of advice we got recently not helpful, but we talk about some things here. We've talked about follow your heart. Not super helpful advice doesn't lead to a great place. We've talked about, you know, trust your gut. We've talked about a number of things. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a little bit more specifically. I'm talking about a time, maybe you're with a friend, you're with a family member, something hard's going on, and and you pour out your heart to them. You say, man, it's it's going going real tough. You know, things are hard, and they they look at you, and uh, man, they say, you know, it'll be okay it's going to be okay. You know, it's like, 
you know, that might be true in some cases. That may not be true in some cases, like, just because you said it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, now I need to be okay. It's not the most helpful advice in that moment all the time. And uh, my wife, Bailey, gave me, she didn't give me this advice. I didn't give her this upcoming advice either. Wash our hands clean of that. But, man, if you're you're talking to somebody and you're like, man, I've just been really thinking about this and it's bothering me, and someone tells you, just stop thinking about it. It's not helpful advice. You can't turn brain off. It's not, there's not an off button. You're going to be thinking. It's not always the most helpful advice. It doesn't just disappear if you stop thinking about it. One more piece of advice for you, maybe uh, a hard breakup just happened in your life. Maybe you got let go from a job you loved, and, and someone's like, man, they don't deserve you. It's, it's, it's not helpful, especially if you're like, no, they do deserve me. I want to be with them. Why did they, you know, that's, it's not helpful advice in the moment, and, and we get some advice as followers of Jesus that sometimes feels like that, if we're going to be honest. Sometimes following Christ has some, there's some things in the scriptures that feel like they don't fit. They don't feel right in the moment. Following Jesus, what happens if you didn't know, Jesus gives salvation, eternal life through the gospel. He gives us purpose. He gives us what we were made for, to live in a relationship with God. But it's not an escape all easy life. If you've been told that, I hope you haven't. Maybe you have. It's not what Jesus promises. So tonight we're going to, bless you, tonight we're going to look at the book of James, and it, uh, it, might feel, uh, it might feel similar to some of those unhelpful pieces of advice uh, that you've heard, maybe that we've talked about. It seems illogical, it seems unreasonable, it seems unpractical, it seems hard to do, especially when we're in the middle of something hard. And so James, he's going to speak exactly to that situation. Living by faith is not, it's not walking by common sense. In the moment, man, it just seems right to do this, so I'm just going to do that. Faith is not that. Faith is not following the ways of the world, the natural way of things. That is not living by faith, but rather it's holding fast to God no matter what. It's living by faith. So open your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. Verses are going to be on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you. um, Right after Hebrews, right before 1 Peter. James 1, 1. Read with me. James Introducing himself, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. I love that he says greetings. I love that word. Uh, Anyways, off the start, right off the bat here with James. Jesus' younger brother, and and what does he call Jesus? I mean, these guys grew up doing chores together, same rules in the house, probably like can't run over here, don't play over here, go to bed now. He calls himself a servant of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm a servant of my brother. He actually doesn't even say that he's his brother here. He doesn't, he doesn't give you that to you know, try to make himself feel special or that you would perk up a little bit. He calls Jesus Lord. Original language word is Kyrios, and he's saying, Jesus, my brother, is my master. I serve Jesus. He has the right to tell me what to do. He is in control of my life, and I'm submitted to Jesus, my Lord. And then he calls him Christ. Christ is not Jesus' middle name. It's not his last name. It's not James's last name. Christ is 
uh, the Greek word Christos. By definition, definition, James is calling Jesus the supreme chosen one, anointed one by God. This man's special, in fact, he is God. And so maybe you've got someone close to you in your life who is really special. Maybe you have, uh, it's a family member, maybe it's a close friend, and we're talking someone who's well-known, maybe they're well-praised. Um, one person comes to mind, I don't, kind of celebrity-ish friend of mine, he's, he's a comedian, and, uh, and man, people love him. He's hilarious. You know, a lot of people really like this guy. He goes on tour and stuff, and crowds show up. But the reality, like, I, I know him. Like, we, we hang out. This guy is just a normal dude. In fact, he wants you to know that he is just a normal guy. He does not want your praise, your applause, because at the end of the day, he knows it, and people close to him know it. He's a normal guy, puts his pants on one leg after the other. Man, if, if Jesus wasn't God, James would have known it. If Jesus wasn't Lord, James would have known it. And Jesus has passed away by the Spirit. He's, he's died. He's ascended to heaven. Uh, he rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven at this point. And, uh, and James is still calling him Lord. I mean, that's that, what a great proof that Jesus is Lord of all. His own brother who he grew up with calling him Lord. And so James, he's, he's getting right to the point, like I say. So we're going to read on here in a second. And, uh, and James, in verse 2, is going to give the main purpose for writing this letter. Read with me. It says, count it all joy. Another translation says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is a, a famous call from James right now. It's a command from the scriptures, a command from the word of God. And if you've been around the church or the Bible for any significant amount of time, you know it, you've heard it, maybe you have it memorized, it might be on your Instagram bio. Popular verse we got right off the bat here. And what a way to start the letter for James. I mean, think about it. He says, quick introduction. I mean, he says greetings. That's all he says right there. And then he gets right to the chase, and he says, hey, the trials that you're in, the difficult things going on in your life, the ways that it's really hard for you to be a Christian and live out your faith right now, he says, consider it pure joy. It's interesting that he starts off right away on this note. And so tonight, we're going to start right away on this note, too. We're not going to change up uh, things from James. Some trials you might be feeling, the faith feels weak, you're feeling afflicted, maybe you've lost a loved one, you lost a job, man, medically, it's a mess, it's a mess for you, it's a mess for someone in your family. This big one, I know many feel behind in life, like, where's my purpose, I don't know where I'm going yet, some of these people got it figured out, I don't know. Maybe you feel like you're just at your capacity, you've gotten to this place, you're like, I, I don't know if... I've got another day of this thing I'm trying to do here. Another week, another year. I'm weak. Job difficulties, car troubles, financial stresses. Maybe the household isn't in order. The house isn't in order. This is one uh, hits home close for Bailey and I. We had, uh, our house was sinking on one side uh, last year. I don't know if I ever shared about that. Uh, house is going down. And so every time we would come home, walk in the garage, walk in the front door, just cracks everywhere. You know, it's 
it's just causing like marital trouble and strife all of the time. Like, how are we going to get this fixed? You know, the quote comes through 12 grand. We're like, holy crap, you know, like that hits you and you're like, we're set back, you know, for a little bit. That's going to, that's going to hurt. You feel fatigued. You're burnt out. You're stuck. James says, hey, count it as joy. Hey, that, that thing that's really hard, let that be what triggers you to have joy. Sounds irrational. Sounds like James hasn't been through maybe anything in his life, right? You and I might be thinking, James, I promise you, you've never met anyone like my boss. You never met anyone like my coworker. How am I supposed to live by faith and love them and be Jesus to them and show them the gospel? Impossible. You try, James. I can't do it. Maybe family situation is difficult. Your family belittles you. They don't agree with your faith. They say you're making all the wrong choices. Haven't been sleeping while I'm sick. I've been sick for so long. I mean, how can we consider these things as joy? What's the basis? Verses three and four. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect on you that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Here's the truth. Trials and troubles, they're inevitable. You can't insulate yourself and insulate your life on all sides so that these hard things don't come in. Y'all know this. I know you know this. You can't avoid them. It's not my word. It's not James' word. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things. I've been teaching you guys all of these things so that you would have peace in this world because in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus is, is the hope for us in this world, and, and James knows this. And, the, and the, letter, the letter doesn't stop here, right? It shows that God and James are, are well aware that there are people who struggle, that there are Christians who struggle. If the letter stopped here, it'd be a postcard. It goes on. And this is what he says He says, Christians struggle. It's not supposed to be just easy, smooth sailing for you. But Christians, those who have faith in Jesus, are the only ones who have definite, sure, relentless, unwavering, certain hope for the future. So you hold to that. You hold tight to it. So these next 14 verses, James is going to give, hey, maybe I'm struggling. Maybe I'm not counting it all as joy. Maybe I'm struggling to count it as joy. I don't know what to do in this trial. I'm confused. He's going to give us some advice. It's going to be some really helpful advice, too. We're going to look at three ways to persevere in our faith. Way number one is that we should ask God for wisdom and ask in faith. Read with me. He continues on in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him, let him ask God. Do we do this? 
in the room, do we do this? When we, we're confused, we don't know what to do, or we don't know if we have the wisdom for this situation, this trial in our life, do we go to God? Right off the bat, I know we've all developed habits. When things are hard, we probably go to one thing or another. We've got something we cope with. We've got that person we go talk with. Do we go to God? That's how the scriptures would advise us. James, is, he's going to give us more in-depth teaching, specifically on wisdom, later in this book. It's going to be in, a, in late chapter 3. Uh, but right here, we're going to focus on, he's saying that there's a right way to ask, and there's a wrong way to ask. The wrong way is to ask with doubt. So for the one who doubts, Jesus, uh, or James right here, is, he's giving this image of, of the man tossed around by the waves. He's like, a, he's like bobbing on the waves, just completely thrown around by every whim of wave. Tossed from one belief to another, out of control. Persons may be like overly free-spirited, and they're directionless, and they're going to one new thing after another, after another, unstable in all their ways. I love uh, Life of Pi. I uh, have been trying to show Bailey this movie for a long time. It's pretty long, isn't it? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe not, but haven't made it yet. Uh, anyways, yeah, here's a, here's a picture in this, in this movie of being tossed by the waves. Long story short, you got main character in a boat with a tiger, and they're getting thrown around. They're in a lifeboat in the middle of an ocean, in the middle of a tropical storm, and they can't do anything. I mean, the, the waves are like up 50 feet, down 50 feet. So they're like literally falling 50 feet, hitting the waves, hitting the boat, into the water, completely helpless. They can't, they can't control the boat. The, the ocean's controlling the boat. All they can do is hold on. And they're without direction. They will be taken wherever the, wherever the ocean takes them. The one who doubts God actually brings a vicious trial upon themselves. It's true of the person who doesn't know Jesus. They're perpetually in this state of their soul. Maybe, maybe it's you. You're perpetually in this place that outwardly, physically, it may not look like it, but inwardly and spiritually without hope faithless in need of rescue and that's exactly if you're here tonight that's exactly why God has you here Jesus wants to rescue you and he's going to give you that direction he's going to give you that purpose he's going to take you out of the storm of your soul and he's going to set you on solid ground even more specifically here in this passage this can be true of the believer as well Someone who has faith in Jesus, they're saved by God. They have been rescued already. They're eternally saved, written in the book of life. But what happens is they get to a trial and they don't have the wisdom for it. They've never been here before. They don't know what to do. And then they just don't ask God. They go somewhere else. Maybe you're with me. I, this has been me many times in my life. Think I'm good. It'll all pass. I'm not sure if I need God for this one. I'm over here saying, hey, Jesus is my rock. He's sung about it. He's my firm foundation. I'm singing it every day. I'm singing it on Thursdays, singing it on Sundays. Trial comes on Monday. Couldn't be less true. Acting in a very different way. 
Do we take our gaze off him? We waver in our faith and we doubt. We don't think that God cares about that. We don't think God wants to work in that, but he does. We say, I don't know if, I'm, if I trust him right now. In this, in this trial, not sure. James is saying, listen, that, that never has to be the response of the Christian. Never needs, to be, never needs to be the outcome of trials in our life because the rock, Jesus, does not move. Never changes. He's reliable in the trial. Whatever that trial is, he is reliable. The storm has no power to move Christ. Therefore, we should and we can ask God. If he doesn't change, and he's made this promise that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask and it will be given to him, then we can ask him, and we can trust him. Our faith is what is being tested in the trial, and he wants to produce this steadfastness, this perseverance in us. This is, he wants to make us spiritually fit. He wants to make you tough. I played uh, high school basketball, glory days, and um, I, in conditioning in the summer, we did uh, heavy jump rope. I don't know, has anyone done heavy jump rope back in the day? It's exactly like it sounds. It's a heavy jump rope, and it's filled with sand, and so <laughs> as a sophomore, I was a, a thin little guy. I'm still kind of, I always talk about how scrawny I am. I'm pretty insecure about that, apparently. I'm not. It's okay. Um, but I was a little guy, and, uh, and so I grabbed the heavy jump rope. It's like 20 pounds, and, you know, you get like five going, three, four, five. You know, you throw it over, it like hits the ground. You're like, oh, you know, and it's like, it's not pretty. It doesn't look good. I really don't know what I'm doing, and the reality is this is, this is hard. It's a trial, you know, and it's, and it's this test to, like, strengthen me, to toughen me up, to get me more fit, and, and as I'm struggling, I look, you know, across the, you know, and there's a, a senior, his name's Robbie, and uh, more mature than I, you know, a couple years older, and uh, not scrawny by any means, and the dude's just like, phew, 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 you know, just like rocking. Everyone's looking at him like, that guy's good, and, uh, and so I go to Robbie one day, and I'm sure, I remember sounding really stupid. All I know is I said, hey, uh, like, help jump rope. I, I don't know what I said. It was like incoherent, and, uh, and Robbie was great. He, he gave me like a couple pointers. He's like, man, it's okay. It's okay that you're weak right now. Just keep pushing. Keep, keep trying. Keep getting stronger. I mean, he knows. Come on. It's obvious, um, and, uh, and, and, and anyways, he, he gave me some advice, and, and it helped. It helped a little bit. It wasn't perfect by any means. It was still hard, but it helped me persevere. It helped me keep going. It was wise advice, I think this is what it's like when we ask God for wisdom in faith. It says he gives it without reproach, means he gives it without finding fault. Like Robbie didn't say, hey, you're like, you're a weak little guy, I'm not gonna help you. God's not gonna do that either. He doesn't belittle us when we go to him and ask him. He won't say, I gave you a brain, use it. He doesn't say, why don't you count your blessings? You know, why don't you go get everything right with me? Why don't you thank me for that last thing I gave you? Then we'll talk. That's not what God says. It's not how God works. Verse five in this, right at the start there, it literally reads, let him ask the constantly giving God. 
So when we ask rightly, when we ask in faith, he won't turn away. He won't leave us wanting. We'll get an answer more like, I'm so glad you asked. Here it comes. Here's what you need. The constantly giving God. The trials of many kinds that come to us really are just massive opportunities for God to grow us in wisdom, to make us more wise, and to toughen us up in our faith. Point number two tonight, if you read it with me, see you the way God sees you. How do we persevere in our faith in the trials? See you the way God sees you. Fun to say, easy to remember. Verse nine, look with me. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. On initial look here, it seems like we're kind of jumping around too much, like we're talking trials, we're talking wisdom, now we're talking wealth. What's going on? James has actually given us a couple trials to look at, a couple examples. He wants to cover the gambit, the full spectrum of trials and let you know that there are various types of trials and this is good for all of them. These promises of God, they're good for every single one. The first trial here, the first pattern of life, the first way of life that someone might be in is on the spectrum is the lowly person. This is a, a person who's maybe poor financially. They're not praised, man. They're not recognized really. Maybe uneducated, maybe just maybe they're disrespected. They're not honored by people. They don't have what most people have. They're insignificant to people around them, to the world. You know, on the, on the far ends, maybe they're homeless, maybe they have disability, maybe they're hated, maybe they're despised, maybe they have no status. Constant difficulties. And this is, this is one far end of the spectrum, and I'm gonna stay here for the moment because I don't, I don't wanna blaze past this, not ignorant that there's probably some of you in here that heard some of those words and you said, oh, you didn't describe me to a T right there, but that, that's it. That's me. Insignificant, I feel that. Homeless, I've been there. Maybe you're poor. You're like, man, I'm, I'm poorer than poor. That's me. Another translation puts it pretty helpfully. It says, in that first verse, it says, now the brother or sister of humble circumstances is to glory in his or her high position. Meaning, you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness and payment of your sins. Even though in this world you have and you will have all kinds of troubles, you're unhonored, you're disrespected compared to others, you're treated like dirt, you're not so in God's sight. He's saying, you glory, like you get into the right frame of mind. You see yourself the way that God sees you. You are eternally saved, chosen by God in heaven to be his son or his daughter. What's true from God's perspective, if you know Jesus, that you are completely pure, eternally forgiven, 
Every promise of God that he's ever made for the good of his people is true for you. There's no earthly king or celebrity or power that comes close to having the status that you have before God. So if you're lowly of humble circumstances and you're in the trial, you've got to remember that this is who you are in God's sight. That's how you press on. The second trial here, other side of the spectrum, is the rich person. Now, you probably have the initial instinct, like me, like, that's not a trial. Man, rich people, they don't got any trials. They don't get any trials. I'm over here, difficulty, they're throwing money at everything. They don't have trials. Must be really hard eating all that amazing food, traveling to the Caymans whenever you want to. Yeah, terrible. What a trial. Here's the deal. There's some in this world that are highly honored. Well respected. They've got it all and more. From everyone's perspective, they're doing things the right way. You know, they've, they look good. They feel good. You know, they're confident in everything they do. They're rich from the world's perspective. In this, this verse, it, it talks about this, uh, these appearances, Right? It says, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. The sun rises with its scorching heat, and it withers that grass. The flower falls, and its beauty perishes. The rich man eventually withers and dies. This is a pretty flower, but it's not a pretty picture. James says, hey, being rich, being popular, being well-respected from the world's point of view, it's not what saves a person. It's not what makes anyone right in God's sight. It's not what gives that person their value, the most value they could ever have in God's sight. Their wealth, doesn't matter. We tend to think, as, uh, think of the rich as, uh, as overprivileged, and while that is, is right in some ways, Jesus taught that the rich are underprivileged often. Mark 10, Jesus is talking, oh, talking about the uh, Talking about the rich young ruler, if you know the story, uh, rich guy, he's, he's a young guy, so he's a ruler, and so, you know, he's got status above all other people his age, basically, and he's got the wealth, got it all. And he says, God, hey, I've been really good dude, I've been doing things the right way, everyone else thinks so, and I really want eternal life. What do you think? Could you give it to me? Pretty good candidate, huh? And God's like, all right, bet, like, go ahead and sell all your possessions and then come follow me. You guys, you might know the story, the, the, the rich young ruler. He, he walks away sad. He loved his possessions. He wanted eternal life, sure, and he knew Jesus could give it to him, but he loved his possessions more. He goes away. Jesus takes his disciples over here into a crowd, and he says, guys, listen. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I don't totally claim to know what that illustration means. It's kind of a weird one, but categorically he's saying, really, really, really hard for a rich person to be saved. Puts them at a disadvantage, right? The rich person maybe has a disadvantage, maybe underprivileged for their position. So, this rich person, what are they to do? If you're rich in the world, you ought to view yourself from God's perspective. See you the way God sees you. I think it's pretty easy for us in this room, young adults, maybe we don't have a ton of wealth yet, but like, 
We live in the richest part of the world. If you didn't know that yet, Johnson County has been top 2% of the entire world for my entire life and your entire life. I'm older than all of y'all, basically. Uh, but uh, we're rich. We're pretty dang rich. It says the rich person should pride themselves in being lowly. They should understand and boast that they are helpless without God. That without God, they have no chance of being saved. He is their only hope. This rich person needs to, to cultivate a poorness of spirit within them. That they wouldn't be high and pompous and think that they've got it, you know, and like, I'm the guy. No, Matthew 5, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The very first thing he says in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus crowns this whole discussion on these, these trials here uh, with, a, with a promise of eternal life in verse 12. Read with me. He said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That's what we've been talking about. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The trial will expose where the trusting is. And to the one who in the trial and through the trial perseveres, it's a crown of life. God promises life, eternal life right now, life after death. You have it and you'll have it. That is the reward. And it's, it's never something that the Christian or the believer ever stops chasing. You don't chase it until you get saved and then stop chasing it until you die. No, this promise of eternal life and this crown of life should be something that motivates us every single day to pursue Christ because we don't deserve it. Because we have faith in Jesus doesn't mean we deserve it. It's completely a gift of grace. Lastly, how to persevere through life's trials and temptations. Number three, hold to God's unchanging character and goodness. Hold to God's unchanging character and goodness. Verse 13, look with me. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And there's a ton here. This could be a four-part sermon on these verses, and I don't have that time. Y'all need to leave at some point. Um, we're going to fly through, but we're going to focus on the main point James is getting at here. So this is the first time in this, uh, this text that the word temptation is used. We've had trials, we've had tests, and we know from many parts of the Bible that God tests his people. God tests his people. God tested Abraham when he told them that he needs to offer his son Isaac. He tested the people, Israel, and judges, and he put uh, all of their enemies surrounding them, and he, he said, what do you guys think? When God tests his people, let's be really, really, really clear right here. When God tests his people, it's never to make you sin. God never desires it for you to sin or he never tests you to destroy your faith. 
He's gentle. He only tests us that we would have the opportunity to persevere and for our, for our faith to be strengthened, that we'd be refined, we would be made more Christ-like in our character as a result. Temptation here, what we're talking about, is different. Temptation is an impulse to sin. So for, for you and I, right here, uh, in the middle of a trial, any circumstance, circumstance anything we feel, uh, any way we feel tempted to sin, God's not to blame. God's never the cop-out. If you sin, you can't say, oh, well, God brought that into my life and made me do it. It's not what this text says. God is not to blame. He never causes you to sin. Who's to blame? You. Me. Each person, when tempted to sin, to disobey, to wander, is tempted by their own desire, by your own desire within you. So if I sin, like right now, if I used God's name in vain, meaning I, I said God's name in a way that belittled him, it didn't honor him, it was unholy, it, a way that ought not to be used, I did it because I desired to. You didn't make me do it. It was because there was something within me that desired to do it. Maybe I wanted to be really funny, and so I let it go, and I said God's name in a way I shouldn't have, and then I sinned. Maybe I wanted the attention. It was desire within me that took me there. Maybe we're, we're tempted to, uh, to admire someone else, admire them physically, admire them sexually in a way, regardless of how good they look, regardless of how objectively good they look and what they're wearing. We're tempted because that desire is within us. We're tempted to, to lust after them because we desired to, because we wanted to. There's a whole slew of other situations where we feel tempted to sin, tempted to cheat, tempted to steal, tempted to lie, tempted to disregard God and just do what we want to do. These things are not from God. And here is God here is who God is. This is what we're going to close with in the first message of James as we read these last verses. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And here's an example of one of God's perfect gifts. He says, of his own will, out of his own heart, out of his own love, out of his own desire, he brought us forth. For sure, he created us out of his own desire, but he brought us forth, meaning he's talking about salvation here, by the word of truth, the gospel. By his own desire, we were lost. We were gone. We were away. We had no hope. We had no help, and God desired to step in and send Jesus and save us. Man, you didn't get saved because you wanted to. You didn't get saved because you had a grand idea. God so loved you that he desired to save you. So that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So what he's saying, the gospel, what it does is it changes people. It makes us into new creations. If you know Jesus, you're not the same as you once were. 
You're now a, a person of God, a son or a daughter, someone who's been saved and someone who has God living inside of them, that you would be someone empowered to please God and to live by faith and to glorify his name and give him the glory that he is due. You get to be a part of that story. So hold fast to these things. God is the constant giver of good and perfect gifts, spiritual blessing, unchanging favor, unending love. So trust in his son. For the believer, he, he's for sure going to test you. God's just, he's for sure going to test you. And what you have to know in the middle of that test, what you have to know in the middle of that trial is that it's for you. He wants to make you tough. God does not desire for you to be carried away and tossed by everything that comes into your life. Trials are going to come. He doesn't want them to take you out. He loves you and he cares for you and so he wants to make you tough. He wants you to persevere in faith. So the irrational call at the beginning to count it all as joy, to consider it pure joy when you meet trials of various kinds, how can we do that? How can we count it joy? How can we keep the faith? And how can we hold the faith as the band comes up? Number one, ask God for wisdom and ask in faith. And I, and I want to say it again. Did you ask? You're in a trial and you say, like, I know I should ask God. Did you ask? He wants that relationship with you. Number two, see yourself how God sees you. Number three, hold to the unchanging character and goodness of God. Let me pray. God, just give us faith. Give us the trust uh, in you and God, help our unbelief. God, we don't have to have perfect faith. We, we know this. We can't. We're weak. And we have the, the, this body of death and sin that that we will be redeemed from one day, but until then, we, we carry it. And, and God, so would you give us strength? Would you give us the power, God, to, to look to you in, in our temptations, in our trials? And God, if there's, there's people in the room right now that, that, that are holding this against you, they say it's been difficult, it's been hard, I've, I've had the trial, I'm in the trial. God, right now, would you come to them? Would you help them come to you? Help them to see you as the good father that you are, the unchanging God, the God who has never left, the God who's always sought them out. God, do something here just among us, God, and even if the believers in the room in our hearts, God, help us just to have that toughness, have that perseverance, God. Let this be a room of people that, that doesn't waver when the hard things come. The, the young adult years, yeah, they're hard. We got, we got singleness. We got all, all these difficult things. We're low in our career. We got the entry-level jobs. God, let us not wait. Let us not wait to be people that display great faith in you, that glorify your name with all we have. Change us. Thank you, Lord God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.